If you've got your Bibles, if you open it up at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Let's read it together. It says, And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact represent representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they all will become old like a garment, and like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed, but you are the same. And your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? This morning, we continue on our series in Hebrews my prayer is that this is going to be a really profound series for us as a church. My prayer is that it will be a series that is helping us to really focus in on Jesus Christ, to understand afresh who he is and all that he has done for us in our faith, that he is our Lord and Savior and great high priest and the one who is risen and exalted and worthy of all our worship. What greater thing and to spend time worshipping Jesus and looking at him afresh. So much time in our lives is spent probably wrongly focusing on ourselves and things happening in our lives. But actually when we put the focus back on Jesus, everything in our life and faith finds its rightful place. And so we're going to be focusing on Jesus Christ. And it is also a study that is going to take us deeper into Scripture in a really helpful way because Hebrews is a book that draws so much on the Old Testament. And it's impossible to study it without having a knowledge of the Old Testament. And we're going to help you on that journey as we go. 
and it's going to fill in some of those gaps in our biblical knowledge and help us to see that Jesus Christ is the culmination of all that was spoken of in the Old Testament. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is this, that Hebrews is written to a Christian community that is made up primarily of people who are converts from Judaism to Christianity. And they're having some really tough conversations with their family and friends about why they've made that decision. Perhaps that's something that you relate to. Uh, You go for dinner with your family and friends, and they're from a non-Christian background. They believe that the Christian faith and religion is just irrelevant to life. And you go for dinner, and they're trying to question you as to why have you made this choice? Surely you've made the wrong choice. Surely you were better off in those days when you didn't have a faith. You know, these Jewish background believers, and they go for dinner with their family, and they're saying, why have you left behind this Jewish tradition? Our family is steeped in it. Generation after generation have gone to the temple, and they've worshipped. Surely you can't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. What's happened to you? What's changed with you? Come back and just join with us in those old traditions and practices. So here is a group of people who need encouragement, who need reassurance, and also who biblically need to get their thinking straight. They need to be able to understand and to defend why they have made the better choice. They need to understand why Jesus is the culmination of all that the Jews were waiting for and hoping for. And the author to the Hebrews, and we don't know who the author is, does this so helpfully by actually taking them back into their Jewish tradition helping them to understand the Old Testament and then helping them to make that connection to see how Jesus is the hope of the nations, how he is the longed-for Messiah, how he is the Son of God. And so as we go through this study, as I said, we're going to take that journey as well back into the Old Testament and to see how it links with Jesus and the New Testament, to see how Jesus and the New Covenant, and that might be a new word to you, and we'll unpack that in time, is greater than Judaism and the Old Covenant, how it supersedes anything that the Jews had received before. Well, this morning, just for a short time, we want to talk about a topic which I don't remember really being taught much or preached much within the church. And our verses today focus in on angelic beings. And the argument that the author is bringing is that Jesus is far superior to any angelic being. And there's a reason that this discussion is happening within this church. Because in the Christian community and in the community around the church, There was all these misunderstandings about angelic beings. 
There were some in the community around the church who were holding to Gnostic traditions. And while there are different streams of thinking in that, basically all we need to know is that there were some people who were holding wrongly to this belief that Jesus Christ himself was an angelic being. I guess a bit like our culture today, which is often close to the gospel, but open to maybe some spiritual things, and there'll be people who'll be open to the thought of angelic beings. There's many misunderstandings about that. So in the society and culture around this church, there's all these misunderstandings. And just within our own church, how often we might not have really thought through a biblical theology around our thoughts about angelic beings, so in this church also there are misunderstandings. And so here is the author helpfully writing to them, beginning to unpack some of this. We know that there are 273 references to angels in the Bible. Perhaps this is something that you have really never thought about before, If so, Billy Graham uh, wrote many years ago just a very simple, plain, concise book uh, unpacking some of the scripture verses around angels. And it can be a helpful launch point for some of you maybe to pick up that book and to begin reading and studying on this. But we know, don't we, just from reading the Bible, just from reading Old Testament stories and New Testament stories, that often angels appear in them. We think about people who entertained angels unaware. We think of folks like Abraham. We know that God's people were the recipients of angelic messengers coming to them. We think even of whole armies of angels encamping around God's people and protecting them, like in 2 Kings chapter 6. Go and read that story of Elisha and how he is under siege and yet his eyes are open to see this invisible army all around him of angelic beings protecting him. Think about the New Testament. Uh, We often celebrate the Christmas nativity and some of the children come up and there's angels as part of that story. We've just celebrated Easter and that great resurrection story and there at the empty tomb are the angels. Scripture even names some of the archangels like Michael and Gabriel. Amazing that we know their names. And we think about the advancement of the church and the infancy of the church uh, and God's people under pressure as the gospel is going forth and folks like Peter and John persecuted and in prison. And it's an angel that comes to set them free. We think of Psalm 91 verse 11, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Matthew 18, verse 10, where Jesus speaking says this. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. At the end of our reading in Hebrews uh, chapter 1 today, verse 14, uh, we read these words. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. So angels are messengers. 
Angels are watching over the church, watching over believers, serving God by ministering to and protecting the church, helping the church to engage in spiritual warfare. That is something that we know about as well, that there's not just angels, but there are fallen angels as well. Come on to that in a moment. We also think about those holy visions that Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel received and folks like John on the island of Patmos writing Revelation. And again, these descriptions, not just of one angel, but these angels worshipping around the throne, serving God. Daniel chapter 7 speaks of angels. A great multitude, verse 9 and 10, records part of Daniel's vision. And Daniel writes these words of the ancient and days and the angels around. I continue to watch and thrones were set in place. And the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. And his throne was flaming with fire. And its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing coming out from his presence. And thousands upon thousands attended him. That's speaking of angels. John on Patmos records a vision. In Revelation 5.11, he writes these words. Then I looked and heard the voices of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. We think of Isaiah 6, and he speaks about a particular group of angels, the seraphim, those angels who serve as guardians or attendants to God's throne, praising God, proclaiming his holiness. And Isaiah tells us that they had six wings, two of their wings they used to cover their faces, two to cover their feet, and two are used for flying. And if we had time, we could go to places like Ezekiel chapter 10, go and read it afterwards. We'd read about another group of angels called the cherubim. They're the guardians of God's glory. So the point is this, that there is this whole spiritual realm around us. And it influences our lives, often in ways unseen. We marvel as we read through Scripture at these beings, angelic beings that serve and worship the Lord. And these angelic beings that are sent as a blessing from God to serve us as a church and to watch over us. We know that there's a spiritual battle going on, as we mentioned, and there are those who are trying to undo the work of God in this world. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that just as there are principalities and powers working for the good of God, so there are those who are opposed to him, fallen angels. And it says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Perhaps at another time we'll look more at this topic and unpack further a biblical understanding of it. 
here in Hebrews this morning as we seek to draw things together, the writer to the Hebrews turns our gaze to one who is greater than the angels. The one whom verse 5 reminds us is given the honor of being known as God's son. The one whom verse 6 proclaims, let all God's angels worship him. The one whom verse 8 reminds us sits enthroned forever. Why? Because verse 9, he has loved righteousness and hated wickedness. He is for, he has conquered the powers of darkness on the cross. Therefore, he is anointed with an oil of gladness and exalted to a place of honor. And the one whom verse 10 and verse 12 remind us that he is infinite. He is eternal. He is no created being like the angels. He is the creator. The one who was there from the beginning of time. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth and all within it. He is the one who is the creator of these legions of angels and all who populate the heavens and the earth. And the one whom after this created world has passed away will remain forever seated in a place of honor. Verse 13, at the right hand of God. The author of Hebrews wants us to see Jesus clearly and to worship him, not these angelic beings. Grab your Bibles and look at the footnotes. And you'll see that right throughout this chapter 1 of Hebrews, the author is not just pointing people towards the uniqueness of Jesus Christ and why he is to be worshipped. But in all these verses about Christ, he is drawing directly quotes from the Old Testament and the Jewish scriptures that this Christian community would be familiar with. And you'll see in the footnotes that he is quoting there from Psalms and 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles and Deuteronomy. And you can go and look up the references afterwards. But the author is reminding these Christians, these Jewish background believers of the truth that even the Jews believe about the Messiah, about his identity, about how he would be greater than any angelic being. And he wants these Christians to add to that knowledge, their own personal conviction that Jesus is the promised Messiah. That while angelic beings are a marvel of God's creation, they are nothing compared to the Creator. For who can compare to God? Psalm 113 verse 5 declares, who can compare to the Lord our God who sits enthroned on high. As we end this morning, Jesus is the one who is over all. He is the one who has given special authority, special honor. It has been bestowed upon him because of who he is and what he has done. He is no mere creation. He is the creator of all. He is the one to whom the angels bow down and worship. He is the one to whom we are called to bow down and worship. As we end this morning, behold our God afresh. 
seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. This morning, consider afresh Jesus. And while there are many marvels within God's creation, angelic beings that we will marvel and wonder at one day when we see them, in looking at them, they should lead us to one place and one place only. And that is to pause and to actually marvel and to wonder at God and at his glory and to worship him for great things he has done. Let's pray. Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us all adore him. Lord, we pray this morning that we would marvel and worship at the feet of Jesus and no other. For whom can compare to our God? Lord, take the truth of this scripture this morning and help it to lead us to a place of worship and praise, we pray, for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Amen.